What's up, everyone? Welcome to the latest episode of Note to Scene. This week, we got news from Neck Deep, MGK, Black Veil Brides, a radio rundown, and a part one deep dive of Sunny Moore, Emo Rockstars, and the story of From First to Last. You can listen to every song mentioned during this episode on the Note to Scene Spotify playlist. And as always, if you have any comments, questions, or requests for deep dives, email me at notetoscene at gmail.com. All right, let's get started. So Neck Deep announced a U.S. headlining tour with Nothing Nowhere and Heart Attack Man. Save for a few dates, this was the U.S. tour Neck Deep had announced right before the pandemic that was scheduled for November and December of this year. Now it's scheduled for November and December of 2021. Before the pandemic, I think some of these venues would have been too big for Neck Deep to get even close to filling, but post-pandemic with concert demand going to be through the roof, they're going to get much closer. This tour also puts into perspective how big or small, really, nothing nowhere is. But what's going to be the most interesting is if this tour can happen, one, at all, or two, at a more limited capacity. If the country has another wave that's even as close to what the first was and everything gets shut down, we start all over. And a vaccine, it's going to be a long time before it's widely available. I think this is a rare 2021 tour announcement, and we are going to have many more cancellations before we get regular tours again. I'm calling it right now. The My Chemical Romance and Fall Boy Green Day Weezer tours will not happen next year. You heard it here first. In other news, MGK's pop-punk album, Tickets to My Downfall, has officially debuted at number one on the Top 200 chart with 126,000 total units. Big round of applause right here, folks. 63,000 of those units were album sales, 60,000 were streaming units, and there were 3,000 track equivalent units. If you want to hear my review and a full deep dive on Kelly, go check out last week's episode. As I've said many times now, this is a huge, huge, huge win for the scene, and I cannot wait to see what doors it opens. In this week's edition of The Scene Finds A Way, we have K-pop star Lisa of the girl group Blackpink wearing a Black Veil Bride shirt in the music video for their new single, Lovesick. For those who don't know, Blackpink is one of the largest K-pop groups in the world and have been working on their United States crossover over the last year or so. I about choked on what I was drinking when I saw this for the first time. You really, truly just never know when the scene is going to pop up, but still, cool to see. For some reason, earlier this week, I was thinking about what was the all-time cringiest era in the scene, and I didn't think it was worth a deep dive for the show because I think you guys like individual band dives more, so I kept it on Twitter, but I truly believe it wasn't the RAR XD era, it was the Defend Pop Punk era of modern pop punk. I called it Sleepy Eyes Bony Knees era on Twitter, and I don't know how I just spaced on Defend Pop Punk, but it was probably because I was listening to old Real Friends songs for the first time in years, and literally gagging at some of the shit I was hearing all over again. Besides Never Shout Never and some random MySpace crunk, you didn't have big bands themselves permeating XD culture. It was just fans. Plus, it was more understood that that wave was a bit of a joke. During Emo's peak, even the kids in the trenches were somewhat aware of the joke. That self-awareness wasn't around for pop punk's modern wave. Some of these kids actually took this shit seriously. There wasn't a joking sentiment to the content. The lyrics combined with that sentiment of fans is definitely what puts it over the top for me. But I wanted to see 
what you guys thought was the most cringiest era of the scene, feel free to email or at me on Twitter if you've got something to say. If this turns into a bigger discussion, who knows, I might make an episode about it. Also, want to say a quick rest in peace to Eddie Van Halen. Do your homework, kids. This guy helped change the course of rock music, and a lot of your favorite musicians grew up listening to him. So rest in peace to Eddie. Now on to this week's radio rundown. All Time Lows Monsters has now spent a full month at number one on alternative radio. This continues to be massive and one of the coolest stories of 2020. MGK's Bloody Valentine is definitely going to take the number one spot at some point. It's still closing the gap, but ATL is holding on way longer than I thought they would. Fearless Records band I Don't Know How But They Found Me, featuring X, Panic of the Disco, and Falling in Reverse members, are up two more spots this week to number 13 with Leave Me Alone. Expect us to keep rolling and definitely break the top 10 at this point. We'll see if it can get any higher. Over at Rock Radio, I Prevails Every Time You Leave jumps from 10 to 7 with a nearly 10% increase in plays. This will easily break the top 5 and might even go number 1. We'll see. Bring Me the Horizon is up to 17 with Parasite Eve, but down 1.5% in plays. I definitely don't think this song has any momentum left behind it, so we'll chalk the jump in spots but decrease in spins to some shuffling of other songs on the chart this week. Asking Alexandria's They Don't Want What We Want makes another big jump from 26 to 21, up over 9% in plays. This is a safe, safe, safe top 10 bet at this point. We'll see if they can get any higher than number 3 this time around. Bad Omens keep getting a little, a little more interesting every single week. Limits is up from 25 to 22 this week with a 2% increase in plays. This is a long ball song. They've never had significant rock radio play before, so for most DJs, this is the first time they're hearing this name. I'm watching this one really closely, and I don't even like this band. It's just fun to have something to root for from the scene. Motionless and White's Killers cover made a big jump this week from 38 to 31, so I'm not too sure what's going on here after the weird drop last week, but I guess don't count it out yet. Fifer King's Locked In My Head is up to 38 from 42 last week. Every week those dudes are still getting spins is a good week. But okay, that is it for this week's radio rundown. Now on to our deep dive. Every once in a while, if I'm struggling to decide on a deep dive topic, I'll ask what people want to hear on the Note to Scene Twitter, and every time there are multiple requests for From First to Last. Considering Matt and I literally took our name for the show from Note to Self, they honestly should have been the first deep dive I ever did. But this was a very important band in the scene's history. Sonny Moore's influence alone is enough for an entire episode, but between him and Matt Good and Travis Richter, they really helped launch an entire era of emo. And that's why I got to break it down into two episodes. But let's start at the beginning, all the way back in 1999, when Matt Good, Michael Blanchard, and Scott Ord formed the band under the name First to Last. They actually recorded a handful of songs from back then and released a three-song effort called The Silent Treatment. What a lot of people don't seem to remember is that Matt Good is the band's original vocalist, not Sonny, not Phil Reardon, who we'll talk about in a minute. These early songs are very pop-punk based, and you can tell they were listening to a lot of Blink-182 at the time. But another footnote that people don't seem to remember is that Matt Good joined a grindcore band in 2002 called Slaughter vs. Skeleton Fetus Destroyer, which was later renamed The Color of Violence. This is where he met Travis Richter and quickly shifted focus back to first to last, beginning work on what would be the demos to their first official EP, Aesthetic. 
They eventually added Filthy Phil Reardon on vocals and Derek Bloom on drums. If you want to get the backstory on Phil, I did an episode earlier this year on his band with Under Oath's original vocalist Dallas Taylor, The New Tragic. But once First to Last were ready to drop the final version of the Aesthetic EP, they officially changed their name to From First to Last and released it on June 23rd, 2003. This release is honestly way ahead of its time, and the quality is incredibly good with all things considered. I definitely believe that if it was actually on streaming services, it'd be far more beloved today. But you can listen to it on YouTube, and there are also physical copies available for purchase on Amazon for 5 bucks. After this, Phil supposedly left the band on his own due to personal and creative differences, but that dude has never not been a nightmare, so I've always just believed they kicked him out. But in 2004, they began working on what would become Dear Diary, My Teen Angst Has a Body Count, and actually signed Epitaph off the hype of Aesthetic. The band wanted Good to take on full vocal duties again, but he wanted them to have someone who was solely a vocalist to make their live show more dynamic. He ended up finding a young Sonny Moore on MySpace who flew from California to Georgia to join the band. If my timeline is correct here, Sonny would have just turned 16 years old at this point. Sonny's story in itself is super interesting. Like, would your parents let you fly across the country at 16 years old to join a band you found on MySpace in 2004? Sonny's parents are Scientologists. His mom passed away in 2015, and apparently he had just found out that he was adopted a little before he joined the band. He did a fantastic interview with Katie Couric in 2015 where he talked pretty candidly about his career and his upbringing. He also name-dropped Marshmallow as the next DJ that was going to blow up, and now five years later, Marshmallow is the biggest DJ in the world. Honestly, a Sunny Moore deep dive interests me even more than a From First to Last deep dive. Like, where the fuck did this kid come from? His rise to a true form of superstardom is definitely top five wildest scene stories of all time, right behind Tom DeLonge getting the government to admit UFOs exist. But anyway, Sonny flew out to Georgia, and the story goes that Matt Good supposedly wrote Dear Diary in two weeks, and Sonny was actually initially just going to be the band's rhythm guitarist, but they heard him singing and decided to move him to a full-time frontman position. Dear Diary was released on June 29th through Epitaph. The band was still so small at this point that the album didn't even chart on the top 200, but it was certainly a launching pad for the band. This is obviously a scene classic at this point, with songs like Emily and Note to Self permeating the mainstream consciousness at different points over the last decade and a half. Unfortunately, I can't find any numbers on how many units the album has sold to date at this point, but it never received a gold certification, so it's still under 500,000. This is definitely on my list of scene albums that I hope will go gold one day. We had Census Fails, Let It Unfold You finally cross 500,000 earlier this year. Escape the Fates, Dying is Your Latest Fashion is incredibly close and will definitely get there. I'm really hopeful that Dear Diary will one day too. But back to the album. The timeline here is kind of difficult to nail down at certain points, but from first to last started some beefs on this album cycle, most notably with Seosin and Atreyu. Info on the tension with Seosin is a bit scarce on the internet today, but from what I've heard over the years that Anthony Green and Sonny didn't get along very well. So not much is known about this clip I'm about to play of Sonny and Sean Friday, who was in the band Dead Sarah, covering Seosin's Seven years and lost symphonies on an acoustic guitar. Some people think they're either drunk or high, who knows, they could be completely sober, but the general consensus is that they're making fun of Anthony's voice. 
Apparently, Sunny had uploaded it to from first to last MySpace at the time. Since I think it's a pretty safe bet that I won't get sued for putting this in the episode, here it is. An iconic moment lost to scene history. <laughs> okay, is this Sunny Moore? This is Sean Friday. Is this a little different? Yep. We're gonna switch off. That's right. He's still here, John's mm-hmm. voice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, God. Seven years at Holy Ghost. I have to Catch my arm. Kick like crazy. I've been trying way too long. Almost pushed away up to fight you. Now I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm not sure. Now, back to Dear Diary for a second. Bo from Seosin remastered the album, but the band never credited him for it. And fast forward to 2006 and multiple members of Seosin do an interview with Absolute Punk that is truly a historical scene document that needs to be preserved in a museum. There are three responses that pertain to FFTL. Here are the questions and what the members said. Absolute Punk, I was going to ask you, what bands can you not fucking stand? All, from first to last. Alex, we fucking hate that band, and you can print that. They're on our label. I think they're so cliched. Cove, for the record, I think Sonny is a nice guy. You can say Cove thinks Sonny is a nice guy. Justin, I'm not saying they're shitty guys. I'm saying their band sucks. There's a big difference. Absolute Punk, didn't you produce their first record? 
Bo. I remixed their record. It came out and sounded like dog shit. So Bread at Epitaph asked me to remix it for them. They re-released it and didn't even put my name in the credits. They kept the old mixer's name in the credits. It was kind of a bum out. I thought there was a couple good songs by them on that record, and then I produced a song from them on the Smart Punk comp, but the new album by them just blows. Cove. They had about four or five good songs. Justin, you know how we were talking about the scene thing? That is the kind of band that is going to be here today, gone tomorrow. Alex, and our A&R guy at Capitol is the guy that signed them. We gave him so much shit about that. Bo, especially because we were going to sign with Epitaph, we decided not to sign with them, so they signed from first to last. And then we signed with Capitol, and it seems like they just kind of followed us. It has kind of bummed me out that I did stuff for them, and that is what happened. Another reason I'm not so sure about them is that they were saying that we sucked and that they hated us, and I was wondering what we ever did to them. Absolute Punk. That is pretty bad when From First to Last is saying that you guys suck. That is low. Justin. And we are pretty much the most normal band out there. We don't have a bunch of red eyeliner on, we're not super eccentric, we're pretty normal dudes. I have tattoos and that is about as far as it goes. It's not like we're easy targets. I want everyone listening to realize that interviews like that actually happened in the scene. Could you imagine if a band just said that shit about some other bands in the scene today? It would shut, there's nothing to shut down now, but all I'm saying is that the scene used to be so much more fun. The day this interview came out, it's all anyone fucking talked about. It it created a moment, like there was, there was tension, there was Things for people to care about. None of that exists anymore. But to my knowledge, this is as far as the sales and beef ever got. And actually in 2013, Sonny tweeted saying he wanted to make a Screamo EP for fun. A fan replied saying that he and Anthony Green should do a track together. And Green replied saying that may happen. Obviously, it unfortunately didn't. But who knows? Maybe. Hopefully one day, right? Now, the Atreyu beef is a little different of a story. Atreyu took FFTL out on tour with Every Time I Die in Chiodos in 2006. At that point, the band were on the heroin cycle and Sonny was having severe problems with his vocal cords. They had dropped off of Warped Tour that summer so he could have surgery to remove a node. He then tore a vocal cord during the Atreyu tour. So FFTL were going to finish the tour with Craig Owens filling in for Sonny. Craig being Craig released a statement at the time saying that he was going to be pulling double duty every night and to my knowledge the band never even released a statement confirming this news. So Travis Richter, I'm sure you're listening right now. If you guys did release a statement back then and you can track it down, send it to me. I would love to read it. Soon after Craig's statement came FFTLs where they revealed Atreyu had kicked them off the tour. Here's what their statement said. We regret to inform you, the fans, that we have been, quote, kicked, unquote, off tour. We did everything possible to stay on this tour. Sonny would not have been able to sing due to a tear in his vocal cord, but would have been on stage playing guitar while Craig of Chiotis would handle singing duties for the remainder of the tour. Our plan to enable us to play the rest of the tour was disregarded, and as our crew was setting up for the show in Worcester, Massachusetts, we were informed that we were being kicked off the tour. Understand that it was not our choice to leave this tour. We were forced to leave. Once again, we apologize to you, the fans, to everyone who bought a ticket to see us play, to the cult, if we were allowed to be on the rest of this tour, we would be. Then, Atreyu came back guns blazing. Their statement is a literal book, but here it is. Atreyu has been portrayed in a terrible light during the course of this, and we're tired of it. 
We felt the need to make one final post including the honest truth about the issue. Due to Sonny's vocal problems, forcing him to leave the tour from first to last would become an incomplete ban. In the business of touring, from personal experience, and with the help of management, we have the same management as from first to last, mind you, we came to the industry conclusion, incomplete band, incomplete money. We offered from first to last, minus the lead singer, a more than appropriate amount of money, whereas most other bands would have just asked them to leave altogether. The amount was much more than we ever got on a tour as as a support band, when we had sold many more records than from first to last has now, and when the headliners were much larger than our band is now. From first to last responded to this by saying they were going to bring Sonny out as a guitarist and have Craig from Chiodo sing their set so they could get paid as they had with Sonny singing. For one, if you cared about your singer at all, he should be at home, resting, not playing guitar just so your band can make more money. Two, we didn't want Craig to sing two sets a night and hurt his voice, forcing both bands to have to drop off, regardless of whether he said he's done it before or not. They, unfortunately, declined this offer. At this point, we were sad because all we've ever tried to do was help from first to last. We put them on numerous shows, i.e. our Halloween show last year, a tour in Europe, and this tour. So in turn, we get repaid with the threat of a lawsuit and public slander of us as a band and as people. We found it disturbing that they referred to our actions as, quote, malicious intent, when all we tried to do was approach this issue with the highest level of maturity and professionalism. They were the ones who publicly bashed us and claimed, among other things, that they didn't know why they were kicked off the tour, as though it were a spur-of-the-moment, one-sided decision. Coming from people we considered as friends, we were greatly disappointed. Take note. They also declined to scale down their brand new top-of-the-line bus, extensive crew, and trailer studio to make this still generous guarantee even more accommodating, thus proving that they didn't exactly do everything they could do to stay. The breaking point came soon after when they turned down our offer and Matt Good, guitar player, threatened to sue us, our manager, who was their manager too, and our booking agent if we didn't pay them the original amount. If your band doesn't have the singer, and their singer is a huge part of that band, you shouldn't do the tour, right? We were very, very, very generous in giving them a chance to stay on the tour. Most bands wouldn't have. At this point, we decided that we didn't want a money-hungry band on the tour, and definitely not one that was threatening us with a lawsuit. We play music for the love of it, for the way it makes us feel, and we don't appreciate or enjoy the company of bands that are in this for the rock star life and the money. We never wanted to get into details, but were forced to address the negative feedback that resulted in the absence of From First to Last on this tour. Still, we wish Sonny Moore the best and hope he has a speedy and full recovery. As for the rest of the band, I hope one day you will realize that being cocky and greedy will get you nowhere but back home. We hope you all understand our side of the story. We hope this clears up any confusion anyone may have felt on the issue. The tour has continued and will continue to be great fun with our great friends Every Time I Die and Chiodos. Thank you to all the people that are still coming to the shows and having a wonderful time with us. Holy shit, this was so crazy back in the day. The drama is nuts, man. This is what fueled the scene. This is the type of shit. Yes, obviously, blah, blah, blah. No one wants drama. Yada, yada, yada. Fuck off. 
this is what fueled the scene and this is what it, it has been missing from it for over a decade now but shout out to punk news and blabbermouth for documenting this shit back in the day and maintaining their archives so we can still easily access them jason tate threw away so much history when he relaunched absolute punk as chorus but i have seen him putting back up archive reviews and news posts over the last few months so at least he's trying to regain the smithsonian of documentation he had from the scene's peak but here's the deal with from first to last as with any band who starts getting a lot of momentum in a short period of time you start believing your own bullshit real fast they thought they were rock stars did atreyu and craig owens think the exact same thing of course all these guys were young dudes who suddenly had a lot of people paying attention to them and ego shot through the fucking roof it's so funny to see small bands in the scene over the last five years have rock star egos when the scene isn't even a fourth of the size it was when all of this initial emo rock star stuff was going on in the mid 2000s but back then they thought they were taking over the world and honestly for a minute emo was but it rubbed a lot of people the wrong way even if those people that were being rubbed the wrong way were doing literally the exact same thing but this was nuts man the beefs of emo bands were what fueled the scene and i will die on that hill Back to FFTL's timeline, they released Heroin in 2006 on Epitaph. It was produced by a pretty infamous new metal and rock producer, Ross Robinson, and peaked at number 25 on the top 200 with 33,000 units first week. Things got really interesting here because Heroin is not a bad album, but it isn't a good one either. The 33,000 first week is off the hype that Dear Diary created. Go look at the band's top 10 songs on Spotify right now. None of them are from Heroin. People did not actually like the album. And of course, I'm going to get every Heroin defender coming out of the woodwork now to tell me how great it is. Listen, I know you're there. I see you. I don't care. Take your cred take on a mall screamo band and shove it up your ass. Instrumentally, the band no longer fit with the way Sonny's voice had changed. Remember that Sonny was 16 when he recorded Dear Diary, and a lot changed in his voice over the course of those two years. The band sounded like they were a dark, progressive, post-hardcore group, but Sonny sounded like he was auditioning for the Mars Volta. Sonically, they ended up being on such different pages that they made an album with no cohesion. There isn't a single hook on this album that's hit-worthy. But even still, it didn't feel like the band were losing momentum on this cycle. Sonny's vocal issues and beefing with other bands kept them safely in the headlines and the message board convos. And I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention from first to last West Borland timeline. Yes, Limp Biscuits bassist played bass on Heroin and apparently learned every track in just three days. He was planning to work with them more, but instead chose to focus on his side project band at the time, Blacklight Burns. Just imagine that headline in 2006. Limp Bizkit bassist joins from first to last, or Limp Bizkit bassist to play on new from first to last album. I mean, traffic for days. But anyways, Heroin is a wild album in scene history. It was successful and didn't stifle the band's momentum, but it wasn't a good album. The math is all over the place here on FFTL's timeline. The band landed a tour opening for Fall Out Boy, playing massive caps, and Sonny's aura grew tenfold during this time. They made an album that shouldn't have worked, and it didn't, but it still kind of did. Now, Soon after Heroin's release, it became public that the band was in the middle of a major label bidding war between Warner Bros. and Capitol. They ended up signing with Capitol for what was going to be FFTL's third full length with Sonny, but as we all know, 
That never happened. In February 2007, from first to last announced that Sonny Moore had left the band. In a statement on MySpace written by Travis Richter, he said that they had been writing for their new album and were getting ready to fly to California to meet up with Sonny to begin recording it when he broke the news to them. Here's what the statement read. There are many rumors going around right now about our band, and we have finally ended up in a position to be able to share with you what has happened over the last couple months since the Atreyu tour fiasco, the cancellation of the Lost Profits tour, and our backing out of the Give It a Name festival. Sonny Moore has quit the band and is working on a solo career. We, Good, Richter, Bloom, and Matt Manning, now an official member, by the way, were in the studio writing for the new record, getting ready to fly to Los Angeles to meet up with Sonny to record the record when we got the news about him leaving. We know that Sonny's departure is going to be a huge deal to a lot of our fans, and we are sorry that these things continue to happen to us and you. We all tried to make compromises, but sometimes artists just have to do things for themselves. To make matters worse, Capitol Records was on the verge of being bought out by another label and bands were being dropped. Money was put on hold from the label and with FFTL already in debt due to the Atreyu tour and studio costs, well, we were pretty much crippled. We had a decision to make that night at the studio that I will never forget. This was the most epic, movie-worthy event of my life. We just said, screw this. Let's just do it ourselves. The whole thing. Just us four. The good news is Sonny leaving meant that the band had to make changes, and these changes couldn't have been more positive. And so that is exactly what we have been doing over the last couple of months, self-producing the new From First to Last album, without a record label or Sonny. To get the ball rolling, I quickly called my friend Lee Deese, who owns the Earth Sound Studio in Valdosta, Georgia, where we recorded Dear Diary and Aesthetic. We also helped him build it and arranged for the studio time, which cost us the rest of our money and favors from Lee. We also teamed up with our close friend Jordan Schur, who is not only managing us now, but signed our band to his label Shurtone through Interscope. Matt Good is now fronting the band along with vocals from myself and Manning. We are extremely excited about this record, and we are stoked to be singing again. Thank you to everyone so much for all of your support, and to the UK, we are really sorry you seem to have taken the worst from this. We are going to make it up this year, we promise. Check back for updates, and keep your eyes peeled for a complete online overhaul of FFTL. Travis and FFTL. I hate to cut y'all off at that part, because we're just getting to the juicy parts, but that does it for part one of Sunny Moore, Emo Rockstars, and the story of From First to Last. Next week in part two, we'll dive into the second half of the band's career and where they're at today. Thank you so much for listening. If you have any requests for deep dives, email me at notetoseen at gmail.com. You can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Note to Scene on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoy the show, please drop a review on iTunes. I'd appreciate it very much. Until next week, stay safe, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.